1: like talk, talking heads and whatnot because all we do is talk. But I more than talk, I bang. See, I bang, I slap, and I ring. And I don't like that ring too far. There we go. And I ring. And you know what? I'm going to give me a dong. You know, I got one of these to go dong. You know why? Because when we start hitting stuff that just is conflicting to Jesus Christ, I want to go dong give me a ball buzzer. Got me a whole set of toys up here. You know, I, I, who said that the Bible can't be interesting and that Jesus Christ's messengers cannot be entertaining? I'm a little bit entertaining because you know what? I'll be sl- slinging that sword so hard it's a cut, and other times I got the stem to stem the throat. So you all still remember that Jesus loves you. This we know. I guess right now you can tell I'm charged. Man, the Holy Ghost ministered to me all night long, Well, he's been doing it for weeks, and I love it. You know, you get to a level in God where he doesn't have to work in secret any longer. Hallelujah. Because sometimes he just got to roll in that subconscious, and, you know, it could take 20 years for that subconscious to release that data stream into your conscious mind so you can act on it. But anyway, I had a great time. As you can see, we are ready to do Jesus today. I have no idea what's going on. You know, I'm telling you, I come in, Norma drives me in in the morning, and she she said, what are you going to do? I don't know. I said, it's up to me and the big three. The big three tells me, I give them a mouth, they give me words, it is a wonderful match. Isn't it?
0: Yes.
1: Sugar pie Jesus. Yeah, I felt like, yes, he's a sugar. And so I want to talk a little bit. First of all, I want to remind you, it's been selling well. Did you know that, Apostle Ashley? I knew that. It's selling well. If you haven't yet gone online to get your particular copy or however way we're doing it, then I want you to go online and get the Soul of Success Heart Clinic. Now, the interesting thing about me being an apostle, chief apostle, you know, people ask me, what you know, what is a chief apostle? We're the one that carry the full dispensation of what we're sent to do. Everybody that comes after us is apostle. Chief apostle is a founder. We, we literally carry the full dispensation. Everything it takes for this next wave of God to happen through what he's assigned me to do, I am filled with it. I am no longer just an organ. I'm no longer just a messenger. I am the substance because the substance is the fullness of Christ. And so that is why. Chief means beginning, achiever, founder, and we can go on. You know, I can go a whole lot of places, but I'm not. that's not what today is about. But I have a feeling that there are some of you all having wonderful discussions and, and debates. Bless y'all. We're just, we just going to bless you. But having debates, so God just told me to just inform you why. Now, I know we're going to have our wonderful, beloved brethren. We love the brethren. We do. We love the brethren, the melons in our family. Okay, we love the mailings. And so I know some of y'all are going to say that this can't be, so I just want to tell you right now, I don't really care, so don't write me. I'm <laughs> like Paul. I have been with this man, and what I know is this man loves all his works,
0: yeah.
1: all his works. He loves his family, and he so loved women that he called women, he called this church after a woman. Wisdom is a lady. I'm a lady. I got a lot of wisdom. I think I got a place in this world. Thank you, Jesus. So I just want to tell you that and for you women who are out there who are genuine apostles, and I mean genuine, and you're not genuine because you aspire. You're not genuine because you are inspired. You're genuine because you are commissioned and chosen. There's a difference. But if you are a genuine apostle, you need to recognize that, that all of that, that, that male thing is third world. It is pre-Christ B.C. So before Christ, we had those issues because under Satan's regime, women are nothing. Women are trash. Women are garbage. Women are sex objects. Under Satan's regime, I just thank God for the cross. I thank God that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I thank God that he poured his blood out on the altar of heaven and God accepted him. And I thank God that he did away with gender bias in his kingdom. And, of course, gender bias In his church. So, if 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 a man who is not born Jew, under the tribe of Levi, under the lineage of Aaron, we, we can go on. If that's who you are, then if you're if that's who you are, then you're probably operating under old, you know, Israel, which is you know, God's kingdom after the flesh. But if you are any other nationality, and you are any other place in, you don't have a say either, you shouldn't be touching God's stuff either, because that's Gentile, so either the Gentiles came in by the blood, or it didn't, y'all loving on me today, let me hit a little, this is an edict, so if you are a Gentile, and you sitting there and questioning your women and sitting on women on the basis of what you think is, is, is uh, right, then you uh, obviously missed the whole point of the cross. You missed the whole point of the blood. You missed the whole point of the new creation because that was, that's the equalizer in God's uh, creative sequence. The new creation equalizes all because it's not according to the flesh. In the Old Testament, under Moses, that's why he had to wrap up that law, under Moses, it was all about the flesh, you know, what they did, nationality, bloodlines, and things like that. But under Christ, it's all about what God promised Abraham, which was by faith, not by genes. Somewhat genetic, because it's the, you know, God, listen, this is so interesting, because God literally told us that through Abraham, he geneticized faith. Those who are of faith are the children of Abraham. So So your pastor is sitting on you and all of that. And some of y'all like this. Some of y'all like the pastor sitting on you because it gives you a good reason to tell God, no. Good reason not to have to step out, risk yourself. So it gives you a really good reason. But do not, listen, don't vilify the rest of us because we have the boldness to answer our call and do it. All right? Don't do that. And please don't write me letters because I am a writer. I have written literally hundreds of thousands of pages in my 30-year experience in Christ so I can find terms to counter whatever. So just don't even write me. Write me good stuff. Encourage me. I always think that people who write wicked stuff are people who are upset about their own wickedness. Or they're bound by envy and regret. Man, I wish I could. I wish you could too. I need you. I want you to join me. Come on aboard. Come aboard. But I just needed you to understand so that you don't have to talk about there's no women apostles. Yes, there were. And let me tell you something. We know if, they, if we're going by our brother's thing, women shouldn't be saved. We should not be filled with the Holy Ghost because it said 100,000 men. When Jesus was there, he skipped off. When he fed the 5,000, he skipped all the women. You understand how crazy this can get? So we're either all in or all out. And part of Christ is all in. Hallelujah. Isn't that good to know? See? And I, now I have women that I tell you, because you know, women come to me and they say, I need you to tell my husband to let me and go home and he I didn't call you a minister. He didn't call you, go home and be a wife and be a good one and stop holding out on your husband. Go home and be a wife. <laughs> Cook some food, have some babies, clean some house. Do that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. See, because a lot of you, you want to use, that's what God's issue was. Hebrews, I mean, uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 was not about just keeping women out. It was about women all of a sudden having a bum rush in the ministry. And these, these families were being neglected and whatnot. Let me tell you something to be a woman in ministry and succeed, you have to be organized, you have to be strong, and you have to be bright. You have got to be that woman who can do it all. You know, we did we do it all, sisters, and Lord knows. I don't know if we did it all well, but we did get it done. But I need you to recognize that God did not call every woman to ministry. did not call every woman to leadership, but he didn't call every man either. They do fine jumping in. So I'm just letting, I, you know, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one. I told you, Holy Ghost worked on me all night long. Anyway, let's go back to this. Did you see this here? Go ahead. Learn some heart stuff. Half of this, all of these biases, every bias is rooted in the heart. It's rooted in a desire. It's rooted in an aspiration. It's rooted in a, in a, uh, a, a determination. It's rooted in an ego. All biases are rooted in ego. Folks with severe threats to their ego or severe frailty will always walk in biases. Always. Because they have to be the one, and if they can't be the one, they're going to diminish, diminish everyone that is. So you're going to love this kind of stuff. So we're talking about the will's power, the soul's content, soul will, heartache, heartaches. Many of the, many, all of the stuff that you're going through, heartache. Something is aching in your heart. We say heartache as a term. So let's reverse that. Something is aching in your heart. Something caused your heart to ache, and then having your own way and the cost. There are You know, we can have our own way. We get people who have their own say. You know? I mean, we really do. And i like to do this. I hope she'd be all right. But you know, Pastor Ashley just had her first own say. Didn't you? I did. She was so excited. Envy wrote her. We wrote her. Envy wrote her. Yeah. And Envy laid out all of the reasons why she isn't what she is and shouldn't be what she shouldn't be or what they think she should be. What else? And so I said, ooh, you made it. Now I know you're a real apostle. Yay! <laughs> Hallelujah. When envy and hatred and bitterness, all those things start to write you, you in. You are well in. And honey, took time to write a long one, too. I, I love when he write those long ones, because you can almost get a class out of that.
0: <laughs>
1: How to get God on your bad side. Despite, hey guys, don't forget we got coffee this morning. Did you get your cup? Yeah, I'm going to get me a new cup. You know, Maud got a cute cup about her. has got brain all over. It's wonderful. I'm going to get me something close to that, something with the soul. But, so let me tell you this. So Envy wrote her and decided to do di- this right here, And I thought about it. I said, and you said that rather than serve the Lord and believe God, you sat down and wrote this few. And my question is wait a minute, hold on. your dislike, contempt, disagreement and disbelief means what to us Who, about what authority do you have to tell us that we need to take you seriously? So when they write I just say I told them when you write back say dear Enzy because you know they said that cowards are, you know they're always anonymous so you know this was anonymous because cowards can't own up to because if you really believe that you to put your name on it your ministry and everything else. Because you believe it And even if you believe it That your belief does not equal my call to God's service You can't change that Just because you don't like it if you don't like it, you don't like it It's okay If you don't believe it, it's okay I think it's really sad that our biggest issue is not the men It's mostly women Because they're envious You know, envy is what Eve inherited Eve got envy from Satan I'm going to sit something else stuff. Y'all think I should skip something else? Envy, envy, inward vying for that which is someone else's, attempting to make it yours. So you inwardly, this woman is inwardly vying. Buy, you know, it's a woman, and it's like, yeah, well, i you know, I made a choice to have some kids, not my problem. I made a choice to be a wife. Hey, that's your choice. Live with it. Work it out. We all do. We all got things we did that we are now working out. You know, repent, tell God you're ready, go get a babysitter, and go on. Hey, hey. see, we make it deeper than it is, because when you put that theological spin on it, you know, then it's always something that is impossible, because theology stops in time. It doesn't move with progress. That's why you read those old theologians. You, that's why we still back at. I was reading a little article this week. And you know, I have a reason for doing this. I know y'all probably don't know that, but I do. But I was reading an article this week about you know the reason for submission. My Bible said everybody should submit. The husband's supposed to submit to his wife. Y'all running around here, all of these male pastors teaching about male dominance, and, and, and uh, can you imagine the church talking about male dominance? Are you kidding me? You talking about the gender that left the home? in mass, the gender that left the church in mass, and you want to make, want me to, no, I'm the wrong lady. Anyway, but I want you to go online, drpaulaprice.com, and click the Soul of Success Heart Clinic, because your soul, listen, your talent can take you where your soul can't keep you, and your gifts can reach where your soul can't reach. See, so you need to recognize that just because you get paid for what you do doesn't mean that it's prospering you. That's why John, uh, John talked about soul prosper. Paycheck is, is compensation. Prosperity, harvest is something else. So anyway, it's a training webinar on the soul of your heart, and its it affects on your life, how does your soul affect your life, its efforts your visions your dreams it's really good stuff. those of you who have had it because it's really selling i'm I'm blessed but those of you who have had a chance to listen you need to post what you think about it you know post what it did for you what's in it and how how wonderful it is and then i'm I'm, I'm, I'm right now in the middle of doing a real deep dive study on inclusionism because I'll be a chief of apostle. And I'm doing a deep dive, you know, because a whole lot of scripture is slung in there and a whole lot of scripture edits and cliff notes because, see, this isn't the Bible. This is cliff notes. And then it's the Bible that God didn't authorize because, see, a lot of these translations God didn't authorize. They cannot stand up as the inspired word of God because God is an author. He's the author. And usually an author and their character, personality, and all of those things, unless they're a fiction writer, kind of show up. Um, So anyway, be on the lookout, because I'm going to do a one-month series on inclusionism. I'm not telling you, because I want the largest possible audience. And you you all know, when I take on a subject, I take it on. Now, I took this on when it first broke out in Tulsa. They told me they found a... Found a cassette tape from
2: 2002
1: when you were addressing it. We're probably gonna have it have it transcribed. Because it's a little bit yeah. Isn't that great, but well,
2: we're working we're working with
1: it. Either way, the information will be out there. And what we'll do is when that happens, everybody who tunes in gets to download that for free during the time that I'm teaching it. <laughs> so so you can have a hard transcript. Now I'm doing this because well, God raises up his apostles and prophets to fend off the darkness. You know, just because somebody says they're um, an apostle doesn't mean that, that Jesus Christ, Satan has apostles too. Ask the world. He has apostles too. And their job is to teach the darkness or to at least confuse the light. So we go from a stadium light to a, mur- a murky little 20-watt bulb. Now, so this is our job. because of So in case you all wonder, Acts twenty six eighteen To open their eyes. This is an apostle's mandate. This is the mandate that Jesus Christ gave Paul on the road, because we don't talk about all of that, on the road to Damascus. When God knocked him off his horse, blinded him, this man is killing his his sheep, okay? And the Lord Jesus appears to him, and we like to say Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul at that time, why persecutest thou me? And so he said, but that's all right, get up on your feet, because I'm getting ready to send you. I'm getting ready to apostolize you, to go to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That is a fundamental. I don't care whether you're called to nations or you're called to generations or you're called to cities or states. I don't care if you're called to institutions, constitution, or restitution. I'm telling you that every genuine apostle has a a, a divine mandate, this, this, this standing mandate to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So why do we have Satanism rampant in the church after all of these eras of apostles? Because we forgot or we never knew? Because God told me, I said, well, God, I mean, you know, this is going back about maybe 15 years. And I said, well, God, I said, you know, I was going to, you know, all of these meetings and what I said well, God, and everybody's arguing about this and arguing about that, and this is an apostle, and that's an apostle, and all that. And none of that was in Scripture. None of it. I mean, I did not see fathering as a call to apostleship yet. I've been in, well, I've got like 15 Bibles. I've studied about as many, and none of them are talking about fathering. None. None. None of are saying Jesus Christ said I commission you to father. Not one. None of them said Jesus Christ said I commission you to be a daddy. None of them said that. Not one. And I sat there and watched this man's institution go through the ringer on just that one misunderstanding. And it is simply a misunderstanding. And so I go to God, and I say, well, Jesus, come on now, help me, Lord. Tell me what it is. And he takes me to Acts 26, 18. And he says, there is not an apostle I commission who is exempt from doing this. There's not an apostle I summon. There's not an apostle I call. There's not an apostolic gifting. The idea of apostleship is that, and I love it. I got this from my my brandy new homegrown from the womb apostle. She said, when she was doing homework one day, she said, God, let her know apostles are expert in everything Jesus Christ. I said, daughter, girl, I'm using it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it's out there, it's open game. Because that's what, that's what he made sure. He made sure that the 12 that he trained, even the devil that had to oppose him and set up an apostles of darkness organization, he made sure they were experts in him. God, I love that. Experts in Him, not in how. See, humanism says it's all about fathering. It's all about winning souls. It's all about planting churches. That's humanism. That's that's fundamental. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm telling you right now. So don't y'all go telling y'all little pastors that Price, say you wrong. I'm telling you that we, we, we took the easiest way, at the least, because God, Jesus Christ said to Paul. He said to the 12 "Go, disciple nations, he said to the apostle to the Gentiles, God, I love it, Woo! he said, I send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. As long as I don't care how many saints say this is all right and that is all right, anything that comes from Satan, you haven't gotten forgiveness for. God's not forgiven it, and so you are right now putting at risk your inheritance. So you can talk about I'm telling you, you got these apostles talking about tattooing and whatnot, talking about homosexuality, talking about drugs, talking about fornication. You can talk all of that because that's what flesh says. Because flesh can lie. Flesh is built to lie. That's the purpose of flesh. That's why you must be born again and walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, if you were in the spirit, you wouldn't have done any of that because the Holy Spirit would have told you, uh uh-uh, uh, hold on. No, no, not us, not our kingdom. So you can talk all that. Well, I just happen to believe you can believe your lie. That's why you're lying because you've already been made a believer of that which you are doing contrary to Christ. That's nothing new. That's not news. That's not news. You can say, well, I just happen to believe this. And when, listen. And the next time somebody who knows they wrong, or who you know is not Bible, um, why, why is it my fault? Okay. But make sure you understand. Have them tell you. Listen to what they say. I happen to believe. Then you ask them, where did that belief come from? And then they will tell you, I just feel it. I just whatever. But listen to the eyes, because the eyes are not Christ. So he said that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Your lives are going in the toilet. There's a wreck, disease running rampant, because you have not even acknowledged your personal prerogatives and your private beliefs and values are not of Christ. So he doesn't have to handle that. So you can go through chemo. You can go through surgery. You can lose limbs. You can do all of that. You can do all of that, and God will let you do it because the God you serve is responsible for keeping you whole. And if God tells the devil to back down, trust me, a devil won't help you. I don't care how powerful Satan is. When God tells him to stand down, he got to stand down. See, that's something that you all don't know because you haven't been listening to Scripture. You know, I have a quick story as we get ready to move into something else, but I have a quick story for you. You know, Elijah and Mount Carmel is the greatest example. Elijah and Mount Carmel. That I mean, I, I mean, come on, Jezebel's prophets—they cutting themselves, they're drinking blood, they're drinking, um, they're uh, um, taking drugs, and all of those kinds of things because they want Satan to answer. Because Elijah said, "The God that answers by fire." They go—I I mean, they going at it, beating up each other. It's, a, it's its like pure mayhem on Mount Carmel. And Elijah's sitting there. Sitting there all by himself, he's just there with him and his whatever his little helpers are. And he's sitting there, he's letting the, and from sunrise to sunset. That devil can't answer. They are tearing up, and he can't say a word. He now you know good and well, he's supposed to be hot on fire. The dragon's supposed to be able to breathe out fire, but you know what? God said you better keep your fire to yourself today. Mm-hmm. So they go at it and finally. They get to the end, they're all, they're exhausted, they're mutilated, they're bloody, and I mean, just just totally worn out. And so Elijah tells them, dig a pit, build an altar, dig a pit, a trench, fill it with water. Because he wants to let you know that this God's fire is greater than water. And so he does it. And he begins to say, God, let your people know whose God is God. And bless the Lord, fire comes right on down from heaven, dries up the water, burns up the stuff, and that God got himself a literally a burnt offering pit. And he goes, and Elijah could see the devil couldn't protect his own people, Elijah said, kill him and burn him. Now, I know we got the, you know, you got that fake humanist pity thing. Talk about what, I just don't think that's right. First of all, they have been killing God's prophets for like decades. And nobody mentioning that. You ever notice that the sinners are always jumped right into pity? You know, the deluded, the deceived, we jump right into pity. And what do they say? I don't care how it happens. This is what I think. Yeah, the part that hits you. Mm -hmm. Not the part of truth. So can you imagine? Satan has a thousand spiritual and divine ministrants on the line, and he can't help them. Old Testament. He can't help them. He can't rain down fire. He can't tell them to stop cutting up each other. He is losing his entire regime, and he can't help them. He's there. I can imagine him standing in the background. God and God gagged his mouth. No, you better not Mm-mm, hold on. You know, because those cherubim that he left behind still overpower him. Hallelujah! And so he couldn't. He could not help his own staff. Four hundred prophets of Baal. Four hundred and fifty. Prophets of Asherah. And he couldn't help them. And you know why? Because his maker said, you can't. And so he goes, after it's all over, it's a bloody mess. Because Mount Carmel, we make it sound all nice and sweet. <laughs> no, it was a mess. It was a stinking, bloody mess. Because they did every ritual, every act, everything they could. To cajole the deities that they quote unquote, and they had a bunch of them, all them deities, they could not do anything but let Elijah with because it wasn't Elijah. It's kind of like Moses and the snake. Moses stand there, you know, because we, we get ready right, to get to that point that, you know, we're going we're to manifest things, or how can I say, i say it like this manifestations get ready right, to face off with of magic. See, that was magic. Moses was manifestation. Pharaoh's, I mean, uh, Pharaoh's priests, and et cetera, magicians, were magic. So one was an illusion, and the other one was a realization. So Moses throws his serpent down, and they throw theirs down. Now, we don't even know how many of them are, but if you look at some of the movies we have back in those days, that was a lot of snakes. And, and God, Moses threw down a hungry snake. He said, I'm out for a snack. He went to a buffet, snake buffet. And he began to eat up all those serpents. And think about it. He started as a wooden rod, laid down. The Holy Ghost gets into it, and it becomes a serpent. Moses picks it up, and it's a rod again. Boy, there was a lot in that wood. All whole night in that wood. Now, I'm telling you this because, see, you all got all of those, well, you know you can't do this and you can't do that. Trust me, baby, you can't do it if you're in righteousness. But if you're in God's righteousness, that word's going to make the dictionary, trust me. I'm, I promise you that word's going to make the dictionary. You're in, in wrongciousness. You're in sin's wrongciousness, Satan's wrongness, so God's not going to release his power in you. he just, He got all he can do to protect you from all of the stuff that should happen to you as a result of your wrongness. But when you move into that place of, of, of God's total fidelity to Christ, when God knows you have his back and that you'll back his every play, Moses backed every play God had. And so God trusted him with the kingdom. You all are running around with prophets telling y'all, y'all going to have kingdoms and nations and carrying and y'all scared to speak the Bible. You're scared to speak the truth. You don't even want to say it. But you have to know God runs with heroes, leaders, champions, and he tries them bitterly and sometimes viciously because he knows their adversary is a bitter, vicious enemy. So here we are. So he couldn't stop them. And if God said you can't, you can't. I I know that you all have, yeah, but you know, that's just, no, no, I'm not a religionist. And when people say it, I tell them, no, no, I'm not a religionist. I'm a redeemist. I've been bought back from religion Bought back from devil See, because religion existed before Jesus got here I'm a redeemist I'm not religious, I'm redeemed You need to write it down Because if I'm religious Then I'm one of those religions that grew up from the earth And Christianity is the only religion that came down from heaven Did not grow up from the earth So I'm not And when they tell me I'm not I'm, I'm No, I'm a redeemist Hallelujah. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Don't you see it? I, you ought to be I'm sparkling by now, baby. I'm telling you. And I don't let, uh-uh. Well, you know, that's your religion. No, 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 no. You have religions. We're the redeemed. We're the nation of Jesus Christ. And we have been bought with the price of the sovereign blood of Christ. So we don't follow religion of the world. We follow the instructions and the codes and the laws of Christ. The Bible is God's codified preferences, experiences, directives, instructions, precepts, ordinances, statutes. We can go on. But they're all codified from a person, not a collaborative or a, 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 a consolidation of minds that want to find out the best way to keep people behaving religiously in a society. I'm not a religionist. I'm telling you. Now, now I've read all those other religions, and I was in some. You know, thank God I got in and got out. I got out with the wisdom. I got in with naivety, came out with wisdom. Thank God. So you who are there, that's why I love training apostles and prophets. I'm looking forward to having all that. Because you know what? These people are trained. They're tutored. And there's a difference between training and tutor. It's been tutoring. And there's also a difference between education and training. See, most of these people are running on their tutorials. Tutorials about that's why you can get a book this thin, finish it in in, in, in six weeks and call yourself an apostle. Are you kidding? All the fullness of the Godhead, bodily. Do you realize you can't put that in a pamphlet? You're gonna you're gonna pull up shit button. So Hallelujah, moving on. And we have the archives of the week. Let's just, well, she's going to change this weekly. I'm going to get me a little banner. I'm probably just going to blank it. And so I'm going to blank this, but every week we have a. What's the one for this week?
2: There are two new ones this week. We have two The Economy of the Spiritual Prostitute, part two. Ooh. And Surmounting the Impossible,
1: part one. Oh, you're going to love them. The Economy of the Spiritual Prostitute. You all should have gotten one. If not, you can get one and two at the same time, and you can figure, you can yourself, and understand why prostitution is so deeply entrenched in society and in the consciousness of this particular world. Now, I always like to say this is my personal thing, and since it's my show, I can I can do this. It's said Paula Price Show. But I always say, you know, prostitutes and, and pimps and, and all of those folks like that like to say that prostitution is the oldest profession. So I'm, I want to beg to differ with you who are redeemed. It's the oldest profession of their world, not ours. Our oldest profession is the prophet. Career prophetics, civil prophets, societal prophets, organizational prophets, I, and since our world predates theirs, that means that the prophets were moving before prostitutes could find out that they could sell their stuff. Now, you know, I have grown in God, so I have a lot of um, a lot of understanding for the for the, the prostitute, the person, institution. I detest, but I understand how it got to be where it is today. And how the Lord Jesus wants to help. Remember, God himself converted prostitutes. One of the the most potent prostitutes in the area. We have seven devils. Mary Magdalene. Seven. Now, seven devils may not seem like a lot, but it didn't say seven demons. It says seven devils, meaning seven princes. So that devil, I mean, they made this woman do the vilest things and be the absolute work, blah, blah, blah. They did that. And the Lord Jesus saved her to let us know that there's nothing that you can do that he cannot redeem except unbelief. When you're ready to surrender your unbelief, God's gonna get you out of everything. I promise you He will. I don't care if you are right now listening to me, or you are somebody's telling you about me and you are sex slave, I promise you that with the moment you get sick of it, God's gonna get you out. Now I didn't say sick of it because you want another master, another ruler, another environment. You want some job changes. I said, when you get tired of it, God will get you out. If you are addicted to drugs, when you get tired, God will get you out. If you are addicted to anything, I don't care who it is, if you are a bad wife, bad spouse, God will get you out when you are ready to serve him, and the reason he won't get you out before then is because you will give credit to his for his deliverance to everybody but him, and you won't serve him, and you'll start celebrating your own strength and your own efforts in place of his. And the Lord has a statement: My glory, I will not give to another. So if he gets you out without anything like that, it's arbitrary. He will arbitrarily say, you know what? This is mine. Give this to me. I, I got I'm, you are useful to me for ministry. Bible says that all the time. Paul said, give me Timothy because he's useful to me for ministry. So if you're useful, to, and it still goes back to serving his purpose. We don't act like God has a purpose or that His he sub, subjects his purpose, his purpose, his desires to humanity. Are you kidding me? We three score and ten. We get colds. we get sick, we have accidents. Come on, God is not in no way going to subject his purposes to mortality and its frailties. Is this God? I'm having fun. So, we're going to move on. Just give me a minute. Give me just a minute to go to the next thing. Hallelujah. Those audios are available now. Oh, aren't they?
2: They are online. You also do it um, in the economy of the spiritual prostitutes. You address how people get bound. Yes. And binding yourself to somebody who's already in bondage. That's that bad idea. But how it happens. And then at the end of that one, I think it's that one, is Q&A as well. So you answer questions. Uh, it's so funny to hear us when we were younger because I asked a question.
0: And <laughs> we asked a
1: question. I was like, oh, those kids. Yeah. Oh, baby.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, go and get them because they and they will contribute a great deal to what I am sharing with you today. I've carried this for about three or four weeks, and so you know I'm not one of those. I've learned early in Christ just because God says something doesn't mean you need to run and publish it. You know, God doesn't. God's like not like Facebook. He doesn't always have to be published immediately. You know. Sometimes, I know, don't y'all just love it? So sometimes it's important. He's been talking to me, but before I get started, I have a message for husbands, mostly Christian husbands. And when you hear how else I'm going to teach this, but just hold on, this is wrong. Ashley, just give me a minute. Okay. Talk about something. I'll talk about something else. Okay. The other audio
2: available is surmounting the impossible. I think that was the, the... one of the foundational teachings, the catalytic teachings that you did,
0: mm-hmm. it was a three-part
2: series on rising above and overcoming the impossible. It was like 2002 maybe, 2003, something like that, in early 2000s, and um, blew us away. You started with the Tower of Babel. Mm in Genesis and that's the take that we actually have to work on the quality of so it's not on the market take two, which is labeled as tape one is really take two. But anyway, you you're not lost. You're, people will stay connected with yeah. everything. But you talked about that and how when the Lord saw, when they saw that nothing was impossible what they did. And so you, you talked about that faith that locked in, that you can't be shaken. hmm and so part two, you continue in that whole piece about mountains and what mountains really represent mm-hmm. and what impossible and the power of your faith, like real power, mm-hmm. in your faith and rising above. And not just in a statement. We have so cliched so many things and just, you know, just rising above and just pressing on. You know, I just just have faith, sister. Mm-hmm. I just have faith. Your faith. And so obviously I'm fired up all over again like I wasn't there the first time. But that first time was
1: a long time ago, so. Yeah, but, you know, and you hear it now later. You know, you're talking about, what, 16 years, almost 16 years later, and all of the life that we've lived, the trials that we've been through, the things that we've faced, overcome, conquered, surmounted, and you have a different attitude even about your potential and about your possibilities. What was impossible for you maybe 10 years ago is now more than possible. You know, it's probable. We can pretty much do it. And the longer you stay in the word, people will always weaken when they're out of the word Because unless you're called into Satan's high echelon He's not going to give you power He's just not Because God gave it to all his kids Because we're all kings and priests to him But Satan's not going to give you power He has an elite set-aside force That he wants to work his wonders And his magic Everybody else he gives like little tidbits Little, little candy handouts, you know mm-hmm. Little old sachet bags of junk junk mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. As I said, as you can see, we have him, her, heart, keyboard. What's the key to marriage and its successes? So let's talk about that. Before I do, I want to talk talk to husbands. Right now, take a moment. Everybody who is on... Share, 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 and then share, share, share. I know by now you've probably been sharing, but we need to tell you, and my staff tells you I love reading it, and they like, go share this with somebody. Find 10 people you want to watch this, hear this, share, share this, because this is going to be very interesting. And ultimately, I will be um, developing an entire program. As a matter of fact, I have a program I uh, developed, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago called Marriage Reconstruction, and I used it when I was in New Jersey to help people rebuild their marriages when they fail, and, um, and, and the Holy Ghost just slowed it down a little bit, because, you know, you got to, God has to do other things, so I want to talk to husbands, and I, God gave me a question to ask you as sons. This is a question that you, if you want to post your thoughts on it, that's fine, but this is really a question for you as sons, and that is, can you tell when your spouse, when your wife is broken? Do you discern when your wife's broken? You, you discern when your wife is no longer yours? She just occupies your home. And do you, can you discern when your wife ceases to be a wife to you? See, there is the, there's the, you know, the upset wife. There's the Disappointed wife There's the disturbed wife There's the angry wife The bitter wife But that When a woman has gone through all those stages And you've not discerned them Or you have acted as if they're not important You didn't discern them You dismiss them You lose your wife You keep the vessel But you lose the wife So that vessel keeps coming home Keeps cooking Keeps cleaning, keeps, and, and, and we'll yield in your bed. We'll do that most times. By the time that wife gets to disappointment, like that's futility. See, when your wife hits disappointment, you have pushed her to futility. There is no hope. And you're supposed to be about inspiring her hope. But see, I'm a woman. Men don't talk this. men, just say, You, the man. You the one, you the head of your house, you the one she got to submit, and all of that is about you. It's all about the man, and we're going to talk about that, because I'm going to talk about the several kinds of marriages that exist. Ch- Christianity, the church, is bad with marriage. The, the institution of hope literally preaches hopelessness to half of its members. We have all of these articles and all of these books where women are told that no matter what, suck it up. Suck it up. Where they're told that you submit to your man no matter what. But that is not Bible. God, the Bible does not have carte blanche submissive, uh, submission to a husband in the scripture. There are exemptions. Not a lot but they're enough to get you out of hardship and difficulty if you want to come. So God asked you, son, because, see, he said when you are bitter, you have been wicked, evil to your wife. God is a witness. And I'll tell you something. Because God moves slowly, you think he doesn't move. Most of you all are going to die horrible deaths. You really are. It's going to be very bitter, long illnesses, long illnesses, long illnesses, and disease because God's got to break that hateful spirit in your soul. And so you're going, to, you're going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle with money, or you're going to struggle with lack of respect. In other words, you may not respect your wife, but you will breathe that in your life, and people will not respect you. You'll get passed over for promotions over and over again because all of those reasons you went home to beat your wife and to take it out on your wife are what you're going to live because what a man sows, that he reaps. And if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. Now, you, uh, uh, the problem is you have permission. You, literally, you have theological permission to be an abuser. And we're going to deal with that today a little bit. Not a lot. I won't go as deep as I I can because I got deep. Y'all know I got deep, right? But But God says, can you look in your wife's eye and see sorrow? Can you look in your wife's eye and see sadness? And when you see these things, can you look in your wife's eye and see suffering? And when you see these things, what do you do with what you see? Do you say, yeah, my way is working. My tactics are working. Look at her. she's scared of me. Look at her. She's afraid. Look at her. She's, she submitted. She know better because you sound like the little rappers. Do you look in your wife's eye and see a frightened little girl that you enjoy treating like a daughter? Or do you see a woman who is meant to be your partner, your help me? When you you deal with your wife and you want to have your way, when you deal with your wife, I'm going to have my way, do you draw on scripture? Do you beat your wife with the word, with the rod? Is the Bible your rod of correction, later your rod of abuse, your rod of contention? When you look at your wife and she does submit, do you find you have contempt for her? Because she submitted, because you overpowered her? Do you look at her, and when she comes towards you, is she trembling? Is she scared? Is she shaking inside? Is she intimidated? Because if that's so, you have failed God as a husband. Because Ephesians said that you are to nurture and cherish your wife the way Christ does the church. And we we have all of that, but you don't hear that preached a lot. And if it is, it's preached within the context of the woman doing everything right in order to earn your nurture and earn your cherishments. So I'm a woman, and since I am now well over 60, I can say and tell the absolute truth. There is nothing worse than being married to a man that wants to destroy you as a person. It doesn't get any worse than that. And you're locked in this private prison where all you can do is obey and submit. You go to church, if you go to counseling, you pastor, shame on you for telling women that they are wrong no matter what. God will surely judge you. No matter what, the wife is wrong. No matter what, the wife is wrong. The husband says it, so it's right. No matter what, he's your man. But he's hitting me. It doesn't matter. He's No matter what. And I'll keep saying to you over and over again, pastors, I promise you, you're going to pay for all of these women that you authorized abuse. You authorize abuse to destroy. You authorize their husbands to hit them, to take their money, to not take care of them, to not feed them, to make them live off pennies and nickels, to watch them rot away. No, you're not getting your hair done. No, you're not shopping. Or you better get your hair done because I don't want to look at you ugly. You better shop and you better wear the right thing. You better figure out what I want. All wives, abused wives always have to be telepathic because you're not going to tell Well, you should know. I'm telling you, by the Holy Ghost, every pastor who's ever done it, you need to repent. You need to repent because theology is not meant to destroy women. And Satan lives to destroy women because he won Adam through Eve. But God brought us back. And he brought us back with the blood of the Lamb. So here's the question. I just had to say that because the Holy Spirit told me that Three weeks, I haven't said it. He, you know, I cannot have issues between me and Christ. You know, He wants something. I got to get it done. So, who yoked your marriage? What defines your your wetlock? You're gonna like this. Are you sharing? I mean, share because this is awesome. Share, 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 share again. Go share it to somebody else. All right. What defines your wetlock? So. Marriage is defined as the action of entering into wedlock, into a state or condition of being husband and wife, matrimonial wedlock. Also, a union of a man and a woman for life by marriage, a particular matrimonial union, which means you're yoked for a particular purpose. And God says in Matthew, excuse me, Malachi two, is to get a godly seed, and He says in Hebrews eleven to keep you from. Um, committing adultery. Those are the two reasons God needs marriage. That's why he doesn't need it in heaven. All right. And so it comes to, it means obviously to wed, and it's important that you get it. Marriage, the marriage vow is a formal declaration or contract by which two join in wedlock. Uh, okay. Also a wedding, the celebration of marriage or an end of ceremony. Um, figuratively, um, wedlock, excuse me, yeah, a marriage stands for intimate union, adjoining as if by marriage. God calls it adjoining of the flesh. He never said that you're joined together spirit to spirit. He said you're joined together flesh to flesh, including the soul. The The Bible never said that because God knew that he had preemptive control over your spiritual unions. So he never said that. We read stuff into stuff. You know, I don't know who you are, Pastor, but you need to go back and change your counsel. I don't know who you are. I don't know your name. I'm, support, I'm sure if I sat here and wanted to give the time, I could do it. But let me tell you something. You counseled that woman wrong. Her husband is beating her, and you are going to be at fault, and you better hope she doesn't die. Because, see, a church, all that theology sounds great until that spouse brutalizes that wife or kills her, and then all of a sudden the church wants to back off. I don't know who you are. I'm giving you the word of the Lord right now. You need to change that, and you need to report that husband to the police because I'm telling you, this is not going to turn out well for your ministry, and it's going to turn out worse for your church. That's the word of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Amen. So, I want to go on. The next question. Whoever, knowing... What defines your wedlock determines what will make or break it. Okay? That's what, bottom line. So, what type of marriage do you model? People get married with a lot of things in mind. They got a lot of views. They got a lot of opinions. They have aspirations, etc. I always like it when I said to my daughters, and they, we were just talking about this recently. But I said to my daughters as they were coming up, I said, well, have you imagined? Because you know you get this counsel, dumb counsel. But you get this counsel. Go and pick out, get a catalog, pick out your dress, design the marriage, the wedding you want before you even find Mr. Right." You know, just design it and get it all together. And you all got that. Y'all got your little secret marriage wedding journals and and your secret wedding picked out. You're going to have six white horses, 24 white dolls, You're going to have the trumpets blowing in Zion. You're going to have angels. Come on, angels are going to be standing around escorting. You're going to have your little chariot of fire. It's going to be Amazing. You got the, the dress picked out, and it's in your journal, and you pull it out every time you have a birthday. Oh soon and very soon, oh. I no longer will be single. Soon and very soon, my Prince Charming's coming to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Woo! Oh, yeah, y'all sing that sad song. Start crying about your little eggs, getting old like Sarah did have fresh eggs. Okay? Start- <laughs> fresh eggs.
0: <laughs>
1: and then when you hit that certain mark, you start getting that sad sack look in your eyes. And you're no longer singing with up oh, now, it's a dirge. I've been waiting A long, long time I've been waiting I'm waiting on my, my day, my time, my man I've been waiting Because <laughs> oh, you got to laugh at yourself You can't get free till so you can laugh at yourself Because you're protecting what's holding you back so, you're going through and you got this little journal, and you saw. So I asked my daughters, I said, Well, they all were proud of themselves. They'd gone to those little tiara conferences. You know, you go to them women's conferences, get a little tiara, a little piece of scepter, and whatnot. And they came back. Right. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus. And they said, well, yeah, and they were proud of themselves. They had the list. Mine is going to be so tall, so this, so that, and he's going to be that, and he's going to do this and that. And you had it worked out, didn't you? I said, but did you have a profile of the marriage? No,
0: <laughs>
1: because effectively, most of your marriages die because you don't plan for the marriage. You plan for the wedding, which is after the euphoria of the re- wedding is over and marriage begins, you are disappointed. What? You don't want kids? What? You don't want a house? What? I can't work? Huh? I got to leave ministry? Huh? You're going to be in my head? So you didn't discuss the marriage. You discussed the ceremony. So the marriage was doomed from the beginning. All the while you were dating, y'all might have said all of these right things to each other, but you never discussed the marriage in a way that said, who's trading off what, who's trading up to what. You didn't discuss that. Don't y'all like this? Share. It's about time for y'all start summoning because I'm getting good. All right. So you have to figure out you realize that most of your marriages are based on fantasy. As a matter of fact, the fantasy marriage is big business. You got marriage shops now, you know, all over the place. We're gonna get married. I think the biggest far that we have is people going through all of this marriage stuff and all of this marital, you know, uh, traditions, after you're in a shack with somebody for 15 years. And then you say, he can't see me before the wedding. Are you kidding? He woke up with you this morning. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's bad luck to see the bride. Is it the dress? I'm trying to get it. Because I don't get it. He woke up. But you he and seen, all of you, inside, outside, above, beyond, um, all of it. And you think because you have a ceremony, because Satan has gotten you to buy into the ceremony as a rescue for a dry and failing relationship. Mm -hmm. Marriage ceremony is not a solution to Mm -hmm. incompatible partners. I'm just saying.
3: I'm
1: going to have some. Come on, y'all. Y'all love me, right? Come on, let's drink some coffee together. Mm. Yeah, see, they got water, juice. We got everything going up here. Cans, bottles, cups. You got it. We, we got it going on. So you have to understand, and marriage is also not a solution to uncontrollable and unrestrained sexual desires. And you need to see all the things that the, that the enemy base marriage on guaranteed divorce, which means he gets to switch out the old Couple and bring in the new. That is not God. That is not God. Some of you, you marry somebody because you slipped and had a baby, and there you go. No, mm-mm, no, because if you think that marriage is a solution to that fornication, then you're going to have to make sure that you want to live with that solution forever because the kids are suffering. The people, the children are suffering because you can't hold yourself together. So, you have to ask yourself, who makes or breaks it? Now it gets better. So, here's another question Is your marriage a covenant, contract, contact, casual, or commitment? Where does your wedlock fix? Did you get married because of a covenant? Because if you did, you should never be divorced. Covenants don't break. See, humans break covenants. When God makes a covenant It doesn't break That's why you have people Been married 40 years Hating each other for 23 of them
0: Baby <laughs> 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 hating them for t- Hey yeah.
1: Now I want you to know This is only going to be up For three days So you better watch it Because I'm pulling it down And putting it into our uh, Training And webinars So you should enjoy this Hallelujah So by Monday It won't be there So don't go and say, my friend sent it to, no, it's not, work gone. So if it's covenant, and I like the word covenant because it's saying then it should cover everything. It's that love that covers a multitude of sins. So you have to ask, or is it a contract? You messed up, you need something, you just got married. As a result, to help each other. It's a marriage of convenience. It's a marriage of utility. So, is your marriage a union or is it a utility? You gotta ask hard questions. Is it contact? Contact has to do with the fact that I just don't wanna be alone. I just want somebody to hug me. I want somebody to go to dinner with me. So, it's a contact marriage. So, it's usury. So, we got union utility, and usury. So is your marriage casual? Is it just, you know, we just, hey, we just decide, why not? Just let's go on and get married. Let's go on. We don't care. Nobody has to keep it. Nobody has to hold it. Nobody's going to bring anything to it. But relaxation, laxity, maybe friendship, you know, we might as well. That might as well marriage is the worst one because it's the one that's always undone. Like it's not done. There's nothing done in it. Hallelujah. And so this is a marriage of uselessness because neither person sees the use for the other. Is this all right? Are they following me? Y'all rolling with me? So we've got, we got union, utility, usury, and uselessness. It's a marriage of commitment. My family's traditional. We're all just traditional people, you know? And so, and, and so we're just... You know, we're just following tradition. So I'm committed to the tradition of marriage, not to personally being married. Uh-huh. And this marriage, I think, is scary because everybody just goes to routine. They just, we're just doing routine. And so this one here is a marriage literally of just understanding. We just understand each other. We don't love each other. We just understand each other, and we understand the institution of marriage, and so we're going to stay married. We just understand it. We're just just understanding. That's it. We're not loving. We're not whatever. Okay? So we've got um, covenant is what? Union. Contract is utility. Contact is what? Does anybody remember? Usury. Usury. I figured you might. We're just using each other for physical reasons, etc. Casual is what? Useless. And then the other one is understanding. We just understand the institution of marriage. That's it. We don't, we don't, you know, we're not making it better or worse. We just, we, we just consider it our duty to society, our duty to creation to get married. So let's look at that. Let's look at the types of marriage, marriages people make. You're going to like this. Ready? We've got the carnal marriage. It's all about sex. We're just carnal. We just, our flesh needs it. Our man, and this is the one that the preachers preach. Well, it's not good for a man to be alone. Well, we got needs. That's a carnal marriage. And the carnal marriage will always be filled with adultery because the flesh never says it's enough. It will always be measured by physicality. You get fat, you lose your hair, da 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 da, your carnal marriage is gone. Okay? Just wanted to say that. Did y'all like that one? And then we have the humanist marriage. It's all about humanity's duty to the world and its values. The humanist marriage is always about us being human. So nothing superior really is going to happen. It's all about rescuing Things, doing things together as human, working in, in society, helping out, joining various, whatever. But it's all about the duty to the world. So when the world shifts its standards or its requirements for humanity, your marriage is either going to go into crises or it's going to shift. Because it's about people. It's about people. That humanist marriage, we're going to have the right number of friends. We're going to have the right number of outings. We're going to have the right number of, of uh, events. We're going to have the right appearances. Everything is about that. It's about the humanist side of you. Cultural marriage. It's always about the modern and the popular. Now, in the cultural marriage, you're going to have the swingers. You're going to have the people who, they call it, we have an open marriage because culture said it. Because remember, culture comes from a deity. So it's all about the fertility act. And so you're always going to have that. You're, this, the cultural marriage is always going to be about what culture says is marriage. Right now, the homosexual marriage is a cultural marriage. Yeah. And it comes from a cult, which is a deity. So, we're gonna, it's always about what's modern. So, the marriage is always in flux because there's always the newest thing, the latest thing. This is the marriage where, when you come, oh, we got to try something new. We're just going to do new stuff. It's, it's swinging from the raps. Somebody lose their arm. Okay? It's going to do whatever is popular as marriage. But it is never about the couple, it is always about the coupling. We're together for So this is the cultural marriage, and it's about what is modern. So these are the people that, and and, and you have to understand this, because when you start talking to people that you're considering marrying, you need to find out what their concept is. And And then you need to find out what it's rooted in, the spirit of it. And so in the cultural marriage, it's all about culture. You're going to have to have certain pictures on the wall. you got to have these kinds of modern icons in your house. Your decoration has got to be like these. I mean, think about the era we went through, the era where everything was gray and white. Could you be blander? Man, I'm so glad color got a break. Every time you, you went to buy furniture, it was gray or white or beige. That means nobody, nothing. And so it has the potential to be anything you like, but you can't really change it. So you have that. And then, so we, that's the cultural marriage. The cultural marriage is we got to go and, and, and follow the path of what the thought leaders of the hour or the trendsetters say. It's always about trending. So the marriage is always like this. And then we have the civil marriage. These are the marriages that said, I don't need, hey, listen, we're only doing this for, uh, for, for uh, what do you say, formality's sake because We really don't need it or we need to get married because we got to buy something or we want to go somewhere or something is required, some inheritance or whatever. But this is a marriage that is totally angry with religion. We don't need any spiritual being to sanction us. Our hearts and love for each other is enough. If that was a, if that was a true statement, and probably in the 50s it was, but now divorce kills that. That means that our hearts are unfaithful. They're faithless. And so this is it. Or you could have the people that say, you know, we just want to get married just, for this, just to be done with. We're going to take a lunch break, go get married, go back to work. And usually people are shacking or sinning. That's just where they are now. Remember, I represent Jesus Christ. You're going to hear other folks say whatever. I don't really care. I'm here by the Redeemer. So these um, that civil marriage is a marriage by the state. That's your judge, your your um your your buddy, your friend. It doesn't matter, you know. And, um, in a way, and in addition, let me go back. Cultural marriages are usually to have those kind of way um, faddish ministers do the ceremony. You know you know the person who is totally outside of everything that marriage represents and against it and so and these are people they're gonna get married on bricks and stones and they're gonna get married on sea bluffs and and on. Uh, yeah they had little bones and flowers around the stuff it's from, it's very earthly, very earthy, very earthy, so you're gonna have a lot of earthy earthly you know symbols and things like that and you, and this is the the cultural marriage is always about. Defiance defiance the religious marriage is always about rebellion okay, and we going to now um, we're gonna to have the to expedient marriage now this expedient marriage is always all all together about contractual convenience. You know, a great example is we need to get married because my parents won't give me money. We need to get married because I need to get a visa. We need to get married because I want to be a citizen. These are things like that. We need to get married to start this business, whatever kind of thing it is. I mean, it always has a a, a convenience contract at the heart of it as its motivation. So this is a marriage of expedience. We just want to walk through and get on with our lives. Sometimes it's a matter of, well, we've been shacking so long, we ought to do something. You know, it, it, it depends on what people believe. It has to do with all their values. And so that's, and then we have the religious marriage. This marriage, marriage is, marriage is all about upholding the church and its doctrines. Here's where Christianity come in. Outside of the carnal religious marriage, we want to uphold the church. We have to marry according to the church, and it's all about the church. It's not about you, it's not about this is a religious marriage. So your marriage is held together by the church. Well and I don't mean just the Catholic church. I mean the church you're in. You know, there are churches who put people together and marry them simply because the pastors say it. And so they that, that that church is there. The the religious marriage is where the some sort of religious figure, often charismatic, decides that we need to have more married couples or they don't want singles so that they can uh, stave off promiscuity. So now everything is about the church. Now, if you leave the church, you're still married. And the church calls a shock. The church doctors have told you all about that. Here is where we get, because we're coming to the end. Here is where we get to the point of, how do I say this? Of, Doctrine demanding and designing the marriage. See, in a religious marriage, doctrine designs the marriage and it dictates. So, if you're in that kind of a marriage, bless your holy heart, daughters, you probably in at least 80% of the cases, because there are some good churches out there, good leaders and good, I mean, who tell you, no, no, y'all don't belong together. It doesn't matter. They tell you, that y'all pastor told y'all y'all shouldn't have got married, but y'all just, y'all knew better because y'all knew your heart. You knew your heart. You did not know your, the world or the institution. So anyway, so the religious uh, marriage is always doctrine designed and doctrine dictated, which means, Everything that people would do by emotion, by affection for each other, is ignored or it's suppressed. So affection is the dictates. If you love me, then you'll do this. No wife of mine, no husband of mine, you know, because, see, we got abusive women, too. I know we don't like to talk about that. But we got abusive women, some mean sisters out there, okay? Woo. And so, so, but this, if, when if your marriage is, listen to me, if more than 30% of your marital interactions and discussions and judgments are, are rooted in, or related to doctrine or your church, your marriage will not last long. Wow. It won't last because it's a marriage of oppression. And, but uh, I want to say unjust interactions. For example, well, I'll save that example to later. Let's see what else we got here. So, we have the theological marriage, it's all about shaping the marriage around the, the denominational conventions, the theology, not the scripture, but the theology. See, the theology of the institution. I believe, you know, you have churches that say, I believe that no matter what, uh, there, a, a, a person or couple should never be divorced. A so wife should never leave her husband, you know, and, and, and the husband calls all the shots based on our theological believing. That's the tenets of the, the, the denomination. That's the, the uh, canon, not the canon of Scripture. So you have the theological marriage. So now the theological marriage doesn't even have to be churched. So that's where the difference is. It doesn't have to be church. It just needs to carry and and mold itself around this body of beliefs that correlate with a particular religious organization or denominational thought. So this is a marriage that, you know, every day it's shaping another piece of revelation comes forward that, that, that pertains to marriage. We got a problem. You have a problem because it's not about you. And the difference is the religious is about the church, but the theological is about the God that is molded, crafted, and presented. So this is pleasing the Lord or whoever is that Lord. And then we have the divine marriage. It's always about the couple's duty and experience of its chosen deities. So this is any religion. This is all about the deity now, you know, of uh, 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 the uh, god of love or the god of fertility or the, the god of heart. They got a, a goddess of heart, you know. And so this is all about that. And the marriage literally is not religious, but it's spiritual because it's all about the invisible things. It's all about, and these marriages are generally based on ancient tenets. They go all the way back in times. They're very archaic, you know, because they're not going to tell us we're archaic. Are you kidding? Asherah, who, who went down the line to being Asherah, to, to um, Venus, to Diana, to, do we know? And so... Um, but this here, so this is a marriage that, I mean, and these, these are one of those kind of really superstitious marriages because there are a whole lot of superstitions involved in this kind of marriage, you know, and a whole lot of very weird rituals. And so the couple lives its life caught up in rituals. We've got, you know, every year we're going to go to the tree stump. Every year we're going to go to the, the graveside. Every year it's something, you know, because it's about deity worship, not necessarily religion, not necessarily even theology, It's about what history or research says this particular deity that the couple is fond of chooses, and they're going to name the kids after it, and it's going to be, you know, amen. And then we have the creative marriage. And here it's all about the reasons the maker instituted marriage at the foundation of the world. So it can have elements of all of this, but not for the motivations of flesh or mortality or the world, but motivated by God's vision for marriage in general, which is why, and his vision for marriage in general has always been about the church, the body of Christ to come. And it's always been about the citizens of his world. And it's always been about the the plan to give Jesus Christ a body and a spouse in the end of time. So all of these elements can fit in this. So that's why this wasn't meant to be a portrayal of that which is wrong or right, but it's about, literally, it's about what God purposed your marriage to do. Why? And because of this, you need to be careful about who you choose. You need to be careful to make sure that your union produces the product, the product, progeny that the Lord can use and pass on and pass on and pass on. You know, there are families that are Christian all the way back to the beginning of time. Now they did some good things, some bad things, maybe not, I don't know. But it's all about that. But marriage on earth is all about eternity's existence. God's family, God's residents, his citizens, and how they think, and it's it's literally populating that world and that realm in the earth through coupling, through marriage union. So he does, that. and in God's mind, having you know having a family and preventing promiscuity and adultery are his reasons for marriage. Now we have those times where we say, well, you know, um, the man calls the shots. I think that that is absolutely the worst doctrine we can have. It's definitely third world, and it's 100% anti-Christ. Because, see, my Bible says the wife should submit and the man. Now, the reason that I have a problem with it, I'm telling you the reason I have a problem with it, because it is a carte blanche, no exceptions, across the board mandate on men that are fornicators, on men that are adulterers, on men that are abusers, on men that, are, 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 that won't work, on men that won't take care of their homes, they won't take care of their family, and this woman is tied to this This literal uh, miscreant of matrimony Just because of theology Just because of religion So her husband can't add But he's over the money Okay, but he can't add Her husband can't read, But he's still over the deals See, all of that And the idea that no matter what The wife gives it all up And the husband gives nothing And brings less to the union Is not God I don't care what the devil says I don't care what your religion says. There's no way. That's unjust. That's, that's injustice. And that unjust stance cannot be the Holy Ghost because he said Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. So putting a woman in an accursed situation and saying she has to stay there for theological reasons, kind of like you made your bed and you lie in it. Do you realize the people who say that made a lot of dirty beds and they ain't laying in them?
0: They're
1: not even telling you about it. So my attitude is if, if that husband is not able to fulfill the task that secure and stabilize and prosper the union, then they need to find out who does what. In my understanding, when I do marriage and reconstruction, I want to know the gifts and talents of both parties. I want to know the ability of both parties. I want to know the capabilities, competencies, and I want to know the successes and failure. I think that more than anything else, we need that. We need to know that because after the wedding and after the honeymoon, and we start get down, getting down to the business of building a life together and making it work, that needs to be the person who's good with money needs to handle the money. The person who's good with painting needs to paint. Some of you all, you mad with your husband because he hasn't painted this, he hasn't fixed the thing, the plumber, the man can't do plumbing, can't do painting, and you probably can. You can get yourself a nice little paint toolbox and they handle it. <laughs> A woman who is abused, because God said that He only suffers divorce for immorality, and He actually said adultery and fornication, which means adultery on one side, fornication on the other side. Somebody who's unmarried, they're fornicating, and you're committing adultery with a fornicator. Okay, so so you know you got to be specific when you're dealing with humanity. Help me, Jesus. And then He said, because of the husband's uh, hardness of heart. And he said, for the husband's abuse. Jesus said Moses suffered divorce because of the hardness of that man's heart. He doesn't want to give her money. He doesn't want to take care of her. He won't let her do anything. He won't let her have a life. He he wants to dictate her the air she breathes. That, God says, is grounds for divorce. Now, Here's where the law comes in, because, you know, you get these people that say, well, you know, I mean, he makes me unhappy, and you start exploring that thing, and we've had women, so what is he actually doing? Okay, so what, when did he start, why are you, how did that come to be? Because God knows that the, he said, you know, to the, pure, all things are pure. But to the sinning and defiled, nothing is pure. So the, the defiled will always lie and build a case to have their way. That's humanity. That's flesh. That's, that's the mortality and the unrighteousness that we deal with in the flesh. So it could be that. You know, the man could say, well, she's not, she's not doing her job and she's not whatever. Well, you should have figured that out because there's no script, no passage of scripture that said if she does not give sex, you can go out that's when you live with what you did. So there's a lot more to this. Obviously, you know, I will be calling my prophets in. I hope that this is making, that it's been a blessing to you. Um, Again, it's going to be up until Monday. After that, it's gone. Because this I wanted to share with you, but it is not something that we don't intend to use in our university and in our success center. Apostle Ashley, is the other prophet here? Prophet, prophet, where are you? <laughs> I got this right here for you. I oh, appreciate that. Did you want to come in? Um, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> We're in you can now. push this back if you want. There you go. Gives you some wiggle room. Well, welcome, Team Ting. I love the team. <laughs> Did I surprise you today? Um, Every Thursday is a surprise, right?
2: (laughs) But actually, on the uh, spiritual prostitute teaching of the week in the Q&A, you address marriage and God's problem with divorce. Oh, good. Good. They should know that. Yes. And it's in the description. So when you look to figure out which one you're going to download, it's in the description there. And and so when you started talking and saying some of Mm -hmm. the – same thing. Same.
0: There it is.
2: I'm like, you know, this is Jesus. But I also want to say that <clears throat> when people go to your homepage on com and if you click on the link that will take you to the webinar we're promoting now about the Heart Clinic, it's going to take you to the site where she has her teachings and webinars, where you did a couple of years ago a webinar on sexified promises and prophesied engagements was one. Is that a teaching? Yeah. Yeah. It was a webinar you did. Just, webinar. Just about that marriage and dating, and then marriage mania, myths, and monogamy. So if you want three more webinars <laughs> to set yourself free, yeah. indeed, then you want to uh, enroll in those.
1: Well, we might need to package it, huh? Mm-hmm. I you can know? bundle. We can bundle. We might, after Monday, we can offer the bundle. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. Hallelujah, because it's important. And, you know, many of you, I, I like the young leaders because the young leaders, listen sincere. they're trying to get it done right? Many of you young leaders can, can get this bundle and begin to counsel your sheep in your church and give answers and, and help them understand. You know many you, we talk about the millennials all the time, but you realize that the millennial is the outgrowth, the byproduct, the victim of all of this stuff that goes back to the '50s, 1950s and before. And so you all are, are the latchkey kids. You're the kids who dad walked away. You're the kids whose mama had Mr. So-and-so in and he was different every week. You are that product. You're the kid that nobody was home. Nobody cared about you being fed. You're the kid that was dealing with the, uh, the, the addictive parents and the, the alcoholic parents and all of those kinds of things. You're the ones and you vow for a solution with well, these particular teachings can get you on the road to that solution you some of you all are the ones that the pastor taught you nothing and you needed to know you're the ones that the pastor's marriage kept breaking up or pastor kept having a bunch of children made the church a harem see you are the results of that well he did yes made the church a harem and so I strongly encourage young pastors and young leaders to make sure you get this bundle when it comes out next week so that you can go through it yourself and you can set up your own trainings and and things like that so that you can help your your church. Maybe together we can stem this tide of divorce, we can pull down this promiscuity and adultery and give God holy, sanctified marriages again that produce holy offspring. How about that? Wouldn't that be nice? Amen. You know, can I say this before I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. What does God mean by holy offspring? He means healthy. He means mentally sound. Oh. He means emotionally stable.
0: Yeah.
1: He means uh, intelligent, capable of growing in life. He, He means capable of prudence. Capable of obedience and submission, capable of growing into a positive, productive, fruitful adult. You know, we say holy seed and you think it just means saved. No, that kid that's born sickly, mm-hmm. have compassion, love him, but that's not what God had in mind. All of this autism spectrum stuff that's not what God had in mind that that's not what God calls a holy seed. there are seeds that God literally sends into the world for his divine purposes and when you obey him'. Yeah. It's like, when you choose your mate, you don't know what kind of confusion you're injecting into your biological material. Now, God loves everybody. He's certainly going to take care of your kid. But when God says holy seed, he doesn't just mean reverence. He doesn't just mean religious. Remember, the seed, there was no church. We got this as a church. There was no church. He was saying, but the seed that will produce a pure nation, a nation after his own kind, after his own thought. A nation of healthy kids, a nation of kids without a ton of allergies, without all these frailties, all of that, that is a holy seed. And a lot of times, because of your lust, the impatience, your fear, your insecurity and inferiority, you trade off a holy seed to get out of the stigma of being unmarried. A lot of these older people, forcing them into marriage, not knowing what kind of seed. I don't know where he came from, and whatever. We call it a recessive G.
0: <laughs>
1: See, this is apostleship, answering the questions, answering the issues, giving the mind of Christ on the thoughts and intents of his work, okay. not just the print. So as we go on, How are you because you're talking, <laughs> I'm listening. But I needed you because we've never really defined the holy seed of Malachi. Mm. We just went out and assumed that it was it was going to be good in church. The church did not become national natural Israel. Natural Israel still his own nation, doing well. We love him. Thank God for him. Jesus' homeland. I'm there. I'm there all day. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your
0: homeland again?
1: But understand, we are the eternal nation of Jesus Christ and his offspring according to the order, order of Melchizedek uh, after the promises of faith made to Abraham. That's a whole different thing. And so you can you can sit there and say, well, I don't care. You had a little one-night stand. You couldn't keep the stuff together. Got this one-night stand. and got this strange kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because you don't know the covenants, the curses, the blessings, or any of those things on the seed of the person you sleep with. And God's going to honor those, regardless of what flesh we put on it.
2: I feel just like need to rock for a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, what today did was you stripped off, categorically, I might add, the belief system that nobody can really know. If they're going to marry the right person until after they're married. Yeah. I mean, that's really how we believe is, well, let's just roll the dice, mm-hmm. say a prayer, get a not. prophecy, hopefully be paired up so it's not on me, and there you go. But obviously, I remember years ago, I had a friend who had a girlfriend, and they were talking about marriage and whatnot, and I was like, I oh, don't I don't know, there's just, and you ran down the list of things for me to tell him to listen for, Mm -hmm. to prove that she didn't like him.
0: Yeah.
1: The
2: way she scoffed at the things that were important to him wrapped up in a joke, of Mm -hmm. course, you know, (laughs) and the way the what was important was dismissed all the time and just whatever, and he actually listened with those ears and realized, I can't marry this one. And they were close to marriage. Oh, yeah, they were, they were close to marriage. And he told her, and of course, she cried. It was a huge falling out moment, but he, he stuck to the word of the Lord, which I find amazing that when people really want to know the truth, they will stick to the truth, they will pursue it, and they won't make excuses. That's true. No matter how, I mean, because the families were close, this was, you know, and ended up marrying somebody else, and it was obviously the right decision to do. But But how about this?
1: The woman he married wasn't even in his country. Was not in his
3: country.
2: You
1: don't know what God has for you. You assume that what's in your immediate circle is the best you can do and the best he can do. Yes. Got a cute little marriage, wonderful ministry. Happy family. Yes. Yes. But if. He had not heeded. He would have been in a hateful relationship with a woman whose scorn would grow and whose contempt would increase yes. until she emasculated him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because this was a strong girl. Oh, yes. That's a good thing. That's yeah. important. Yeah. You know, you're, just don't, don't assume that your your spouse is in this land or from this land. And it was quite a few years later that he before met, he, he, met he met her. Yeah. But he was. And, yeah. He
2: and, you know, I mean, it wasn't like that overnight. We always think there's going to be the breakup over here. And then when I wake up tomorrow. My Prince Charming, my Barbie bride is going to be there. And it's all going to be
1: wonderful. hmm And it wasn't. Yeah. You know? And then I remember, I always like to tell this story. Because there are some stories that as as a minister, as you grow in the Lord, um, you... um. You can't help but tell him. I remember saying once to one of my armor bearers early, early, early ago. We're talking about, what, 12 years, 15 years ago. And I was, I remember being in a car waiting outside for 17, something. Eight, 17, eight, eight. Okay. And I'm laying in this car, and all of a sudden I'm caught up in a trance. And in this trance, I see my armor bearer, and she's dressed in this amazing, amazing dress. She's different in every sense of the world. Word. and she's standing in this house that looks like it's a, a villa or a mansion. And so I look around, and I see her husband, and he is absolutely gorgeous. But more, more than gorgeous, he adores her. I mean, literally adores her. So I tell the vision. I tell her the vision, and I'm thinking, I said, so your spouse isn't here. And I tell her the land that it's, that it's in. I said, your spouse is in this land. And so she said, huh. How am I ever going to get there? I don't even see how that could happen. I said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't really know what God said or how he told it. I said, but I'm telling you, the wealth of the man of wealth that's waiting for you is not in this land. So she, did, she just went on didn't pay attention. After a while, she just got bitter with the weight and carrying on because, you know, things happen. Because, you know, not all God's words are unconditional. There are some words that require you to perform certain things in order for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And so God doesn't move it fast because he's not in a hurry because he knows where the right seat is, and he knows how many of his populace it has to run through to get to the being that he has. So she didn't believe it. We were how many years later? Maybe six or seven. Six or seven years later, I am called to preach in that land. I said, What? By now, she's gone because she's just gone. I'm called to preach in that land. Wait a minute. This gets good. Not once. So, who did I say? Chief first. She went the first trip. Chief went the first. Okay. And then we were ordained, and then we went the next. So, I got three prophets with me on the second time in that land. Now the vision was for her. But they all said, if you stay here today, we got a husband for every one of you. I said, Y'all we come like, home. I said no no. We said came no, with no. Her. But Where she would have she, she would've and yeah. all of them were well to do oh, men. Yeah, yeah. No, and she good. would have met the man had she stayed in her place. Some of you all are not married because you jumped ship, you got out of your place, you followed somebody else, you didn't like the minister, something hurt your feelings. You'd be surprised how many minor, insignificant things Satan uses to kill prophecy.
0: Oh. <laughs> Amen.
2: <laughs> it's true. I mean, I have other friends who only met you once, actually face-to-face. They knew you through me. Mm-hmm. They were going to get married. You said, yes, get married. first five years are going to be very, very rocky. Mm -hmm. But it's God. And you said that. But Mm -hmm. this is the Lord. You need to write it out, and then you're going to have a very powerful, influential marriage down the line, whatever. Mm -hmm. Those first five years,
1: they were rocky. And
2: I remember she said to me, I am hanging on to this word from Dr. Price. The only reason I am still in this marriage is because Dr. Price said it was of God. And it was like they hit that five-year mark and... Everything flipped and changed. Oh my god. And now they are totally locked in minister- ministerially act well mm-hmm. ministry and, business. and it's, business. It's the whole package deal, their family, the kids, whatever. And she was like, I just can't imagine if I didn't hold on to that word. Mhm. What my life from a trusted source. Let's right. talk trusted a trusted, authenticated source. Mm-hmm. And not somebody who was sitting in your face all the time. No. No, no. And uh, so you know, you going through these do you like them, it's, well, yes, because you you know, you know engage your brain, you engage your intellect, you engage your mind, mm-hmm. and the voice of God, and just flat-out wisdom. I mean, we can't even tell you how many people knew they shouldn't marry the person they married. Male, female, mm-hmm. you know, male, whatever.
0: Yeah.
2: And they'll say, <clears throat> yeah, but I knew. I knew. I had somebody say, I regret it the moment I said I do. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't going to work. When I proposed, I knew it wasn't but." Family was pressuring, and whatever was this, that, and the other, or I just can't be single anymore because people really don't think that there is a worse, worse alternative or experience to what they consider to be the ultimate condemnation, Mm -hmm. which is to be single. Oh my God! You know, and so it's anything to not do that, and then they get in it, and it's like, oh my goodness! Mm -hmm. And so, how's married life? Well, you know.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, when you hear that? I'm like
2: two months in, you know, you know, hey, Ossie, it, two
1: octaves up Oh,
0: you know it's right doctor. yeah, it's just <laughs> uh,
1: you know, two octave, and then by the time you see him again, it's one more octave, and then the next time it's down in the valley. It's all right. Just pray. Just pray. Just 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 on. six months,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Just, girl, just, girl, just pray, mm-hmm. cause you don't know.
1: <laughs> the first thing, you know, the Bible said that the prudent can can hold on to their vessel, keep their vessel. The first thing you need to learn to do is keep your vessel because everything physical is temporary. That's good. It's temporary. And a situation, relocation, any type of event can alter that. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, don't get married for family because family don't have to keep the marriage together. They just want to pass on their, their – either get somebody to commiserate with their own bad yes. choices yes. or they want to get rid of the stigma of their friends so they're motivated by their friends. Yes. So and someone's not married, what's it to you? I told my kids, when, uh, did I not tell you all? Yes. I said, when they ask you, ask them what's it to them. How's my marriage going to help your life? It's not. Oh, well, I just think – no, no. But you handle your marriage. And No, this smart mouth – how's it working out for you
0: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: because we just got through here and you complain <laughs> right incessantly so you have to do not get married for people mm. don't do it I don't care if it's your when my mother wants grandkids if it's that hard tell her to go down there to the little foster place they got <laughs> <lie.
0: laughs>
1: I'm telling you she can pick out any color, size, shape, hair, I whatever. Have, what I you want. want to drink. Okay. You got, we got the dream kid over there in the foster care for you. So you go on over there and get yourself a bed. Ba- if it's that important, so important that you want me to risk my own well-being, right. I need you to go someplace else and pick up a kid because we can do that. So um, we but sometimes it's, we, we, we've we taken the pragmatism out of it. Yes. So I need to be miserable and then be bound to this person by a kid for 18 years because your ego feels threatened. Mm-hmm. kind of I care about your ego? Oh, get over it. Come on. You got another thing? <laughs> I'm sure I do. Hold on. <laughs> And okay. then we got the blue. Do we have the blue? I don't see blue. Yeah,
3: blue.
2: Well, going back to your previous part of the show, I feel like we had two shows today. Yeah. Show part one about well, your state. Well. It is. But even that first hour, you handled something Manifestation is getting ready to face off with magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been stuck in Exodus, stuck with for Moses for and years. Pharaoh, Yes, but especially recently realizing the type of season we're coming into mm-hmm. and that showdown season and how we, I, I know we're going to be put through the paces as the real saints of God on manifesting
0: mm-hmm.
2: his power, not in ways that we think. No. Like you said, it was a rod.
0: Mm-mm. what's in
2: your hand. You know, and it was like every new time was the same exercise. Yes. From the first time in the wilderness
0: mm-hmm.
2: when he was meeting God all the way till the sea mm-hmm. and beyond. What? Come on, man. Look, why are we having this moment? And a lot of times with God, we're, we're always stuck at, is he going to do it this time? Almost like, oh, is this a devil that's too big for God? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: is, is this the one that he mm-hmm. won't be able to win? And really, am I going to look bad? Yeah. Jonah yeah cuz you know ain't prophesying, cause you, went back. right sure and and Moses now I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart just so you know
0: yeah
2: you're gonna look like the fool a lot of times mm-hmm. but in that you're still gonna have the victory you're just not gonna have the freedom yet Mm-mm. and going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and, and, forth and, and, forth and, and, forth. and we're gonna to have to commit to sticking with God mm-hmm. in this process And sticking Mm -hmm. with his plan and his strategy for he was what dismantling Egypt. He would he would wreck the whole nation. So by the time he took Pharaoh and his army out, they had no army, they had no leader, they had no land, they Mm -hmm. had no and I mean it was just destruction all the way around. Mm -hmm. And the Lord had to systematically do that. Mm -hmm. So even so, they just couldn't regroup.
0: Jump on some ships, you know,
2: build some boats and go get them. And. uh,
1: but we're going to have to commit to sticking with him.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: In this. Well, God kept saying to me, he said, my issue right now today is that my church won't back me. Mm-hmm. He said, mm-hmm. and they won't back my play. He said, so I'm going now like he did. I'm going after the Gideon 300, which for today's church, is probably the Gideon But 3 million. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And the bell set 7,000 or the bell 7 million, which yeah. means I'm going after 10 million. Uh mm-hmm. huh. 10 million that I know will back my play. He said, and will back me no matter what. And like you said, no matter how bad I look, how wrong they look. Because, you know, in God, you're going to look stupid. Because God looks stupid before he shows his wisdom. We're trying to, okay, we like, huh? You know, and so, you know, can you imagine Jesus telling them, you see this temple? Okay, in a little while it's not going to be around. That's right. Okay, you want to, you see it. And and, and they're like, are you kidding me? See, but it's that pistol that gets put people. But God said, I'm looking for people who will back my play and back me no matter what. And right. know I reign and know that I'm in. And if you have doubts, then you need to connect with people that you know are backing God, yes. that you know who have a track record. See, we don't, God doesn't need us to agree for an event. Right. Because that's what we want to do. Yes. If well, I agree with you on this. Situational. No, no. That's, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. God wants somebody who has a career backing him and the products and the, and the triumph to prove it, okay. not just a lot of money. The problem is, you know, this is the monetary mind, so we just, well, I got a lot of money. That doesn't mean you back God because we don't know who gave you that money. We don't know the deals you cut in the back room for that money. We don't know anything like that. So we can't say that that's it. And God is not about money. Are you having a lot of money as, as a proof that you back him? While he uses it, he appreciates you. When you sow it, his movement is better. God works with his elements. Moses had a rod. Okay? He had a rod that's made of wood that's created by God. The bush was burning, created by God. And so that's not enough. You can't say because you have a big ministry and you're around the world. You're just a big voice, a big messenger. And we're okay with that. But that doesn't mean you back God because too many of your messages don't even mention Jesus, don't mention God. And they unsay the Bible, unsay Scripture. So, no, you don't even know how to find somebody who's backing God unless he tells you. God had to tell Moses, Aaron's coming. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he's going to be glad in his heart. Well, why would he have to say that? They had problems, sibling rivalry. Moses is the, the big guy, and Aaron is the forgotten sibling. Oh, yeah. So he had to tell you. So you should find out who God is standing with, and then not always the present. Because the future never heals the, 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 never is respected by the present. So the president is always trying to stamp out the future. Herod killing those kids, the, 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 the dragon trying to kill the woman's seed. And we can go on and on and on. Persecution, you have got to know. But he said to tell you today, I'm looking for those who will back me as God, as the I am, and then will back my play no matter how foolish it looks. <laughs> Moses goes there, he's standing, he said, I ain't going to fire, I can't talk. And they're going to kill me. Oh, they're probably not even going to let me in. They probably won't even give me audience with this man. And none of that was so. Now, granted, you know, you have relatives and relational things, but Moses literally had to back God's play. God said, throw the snake down, throw the rod down. It became a snake. He said, pick it up. It's a rod. So that was a class. That's a training class. They had that practice. So Moses knew that was going to work. And he said, put your hands in here and pull it out. And he, he knew that would work. Now he was kind of got a little unsure by the time he got to the, the you know the next couple of plagues. But by the time he got to the fourth plague, he knew he had backed the right God. Some of you all, you're in trouble because you backed the wrong God. How about you? girl? <sighs> does she still do it to you time <laughs> <Ew. laughs> After all these years Every time What you said What you said
3: earlier You dealt with that When God knows That you'll back his plate That he gives you his power Yes Uh, You talked about earlier That God runs with heroes And champions And leaders And I thought this was interesting You talked about that He tried them bitterly I, did, did you hear that? that? Interesting, yeah, it, because <laughs> our, the theological teaching that we have about, you know, how God treats you. You know, I find that he treats you harshly, mm-hmm. you know, if you're called to do something great. You know, but we're always taught theologically that, you know, you are like the apple of God's eye. You know what I mean? That if, that, if, that if God really wants to use you, that he's just so pleased with you. And then we look at people that God's putting through and we judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I thought that that was really powerful. In that same section, you talked about there being a difference between
1: the trained and the tutored. So um, you like that, don't you? Yes. Come on, first prophet, you tell me, because you know you have the, the Sunday school and I know you're going to tear it up on Sunday. a
3: sudden. Well, I, I mean, I think that when people are dealing with your people, they see that difference. They just don't know how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that there's something different about your seed. There's something different about your fruit. They seem different. They talk different. And even though they may be feeling like they're doing similar things in their arena, they're looking at a different product. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a result of that. You know, um, the well, first of all, you know, tutoring leaves a lot up to the recipient, right? Yes. But training is beating it out of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Training is going through your habits, your condition, your nature. Mm-hmm. Whereas tutoring is putting something on top of what you already believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you could add more to that. But I, I, you know, you you look at that tutoring situation. It's not as it's not as invested. Mm-hmm. You know, at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they can take it or leave it. You know, the training it requires submission, mm-hmm. which is why I think a lot of people don't go through that training process when mm-hmm. it comes to becoming, and especially. In God, we'll yeah. do it other places, mm-hmm. but not in God. No, no. You know it's very difficult to be trained in God because that submission piece is so so important to the training aspect. Well,
1: and the submission is about the will, dear. You know that. Yeah. So yeah. because so you go to a tutor because you want to get a grade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or you want to get some sort of um, uh, some sort of um, elevation or standard achievement attainment. Thank you. That's the word attainment. But you go to training because you want to be able to do something yes. mm-hmm. and do something that has compensation. Mm-hmm. And people are not sure that training in God has any real compensation. Ooh, yeah. good. So they're not positive about that. Mm-hmm. And so, but tutorials are easy because tutorials are technical.
0: Right. They literally
1: are corrective how-tos. That's why you're mm-hmm. a tutor. Corrective how-tos. Training is uh, technical how-tos, you know, but from neither one do you get wisdom, neither one. And so, as you said, so, well, you go to some, you take your books or your materials to a tutor because you want just, to just get that corrective how-to, yeah. step one, step two, step to three, pass. to pass the test or to be able to do some, access something, you know. And then, but when you have the training, you go to a training because you are now moving into a systematic, often sequ- sequential way of learning how to act and behave with something now but consciousness comes from education Mm. cognition comes from education and so you have to decide what god is calling you to do because if you are one of those you know we have had churches that say well you know i really want my people trained by you but it's too long and i want to put them to work right away i was like first of all who said that the church? You know, who uh-huh. says And See, that's not even that bad stupid when you hear it again. I'm not right? so my people be trained for a long be period of time. Down, be bogged uh, down and trained. Yeah. In other words, I'm not, I don't really want them to know how to do what they need to do. I just want them to feel good about doing it. No standards, no everything mediocre, no competency capability, nothing. And so when they say that to me now, I don't even talk to them. I don't even care. I don't talk to those pastors. I just say, you know what? We're not for you. Because I'm for the best. I've never hit that. I'm for the elite, the best of the best, the top of the top, you know. I'm it. Well, we've dealt with that
2: with Price University. Oh, gosh. People, Well, what's you know, we just want how fast can we get the information yeah. and, and get on. We've had meetings about it as a staff. How can, okay, what's the –
3: Everybody
2: wants to be fast, and in, especially in the apostolic and prophetic, mm-hmm. because we're already programmed to believe it's not that deep. No, so why do I need two years of education? Mm-hmm. Right? You, do you want to be? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why do you think? Because a lot of times, even in those fields, they can't wrap their heads around what could possibly be involved oh. that we yes. would have to need this kind of education. So I'm, I'm dealing with this in my AIT. That training hits them, and it's like, whoa, because before it was, we just need to go, 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 so we can get done in time. I want to take 36 months to pause, Ashley, because I have to, I just, you know, I'm used to just going, going, going. The We're in semester you. one.
0: <laughs>
2: Crying. <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me? We, mm-hmm. we
1: told you. We did try to We tell wrote it.
2: it. We said it. We prophesied it. Mm-hmm. But now you're
1: living it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And here's something interesting. You know, I thank God I told you the reason that I was able to go to this level and begin to leapfrog into this level is because of an attorney I met in a a setting of apostles. And and when I talked to him, I was saying, you know, we have this university, we're doing this and that, and, and this is going back, I don't know, maybe a good decade. And so he said, I just don't understand why apostles and prophets need to be degreed. Now, at that time, I was young. And I was like, you know, I really, I got an answer, but I don't know how to articulate it. So he said that. I take that man to death because, see, God used him because he knows I got a lot of fight, and I refuse for somebody to tell me all this time I put in Jesus Christ is wrong. So I was ah, like, yeah, you fire. so he fired me up. So I went to God, and God began to take me under his wing, and he walked me through books that nobody could even find. He walked me through this, He and then he began to spotlight. You know how he spotlights scripture that fits your mantle and your calling? He began to talk to me about what this apostle really is. Now, he said, what they talking? me, he said, they don't know what they're talking about. He said, that's just all church stuff. He said, I had apostles before there was a church. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm well, done. And he said, So, your job, and he, I love this man. Oh, he's my sugar honey man. He said, Your job is to find out what I did with the apostles before there was a church and why. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's and we're different. Still going. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's different. <laughs> and so, I went on almost like an eight year journey. And I had already written, you know, God's the Apostle Revive, the and I understood it. But I understood it spiritually, pneumatically. I understood it psychologically. I couldn't understand it, uh, you know, in my brain. My brain needed the, there were no no tracks for it. You know, there was nothing. When I first started studying it, my head hurt so bad, I cried. God, it hurts, please. Jesus, I'm up to three hours, three or four o'clock in the morning. But you know what? I got this. And I don't care what they say. I'm telling you, we have not scratched the surface of what this mantle and this office is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because oh. yes. he shut it down. Yes. He shut it down. And he let the administrative pieces of apostleship be handled by bishops. But when he opens this thing again in full, oh, we going to find out that, that 12, those 12 were really a problem. And they weren't just a bad doctrine. See, because we think it's all about a doctrine. But to them, those apostles were not carrying just a doctrine. They were voicing a deity who was inserting himself in the mainstream of humanity and earth and its rituals and worship. He was inserting himself. What did they, what did they say in the book of Acts about Paul? Yeah, I know. he got some new God. Okay. Gee, honey let me tell you Those apostles and Jesus <laughs> Christ,
0: what <were> <laughs> That's
1: what they like to do to us now But I want you to understand Jesus Christ sent that Holy Ghost And he started slugging with those deities And those apostles Were champions Because they were called kings and priests Because that's what an apostle supposed to be oh! And they operated kingly Not pastorally huh. Not evangelically huh. And so when he did that he did me a favor. If I saw him today, I would walk up to him and say, Thank you for humiliating me that day because it put a fight in my gut and a fire in my soul. Oh, mm. well, it's time for the offering. <laughs> Oh, it's t- they tell me it's time it's for all. Time to
0: give. All right,
3: guys. So, Rachel's going to put on the screen for you all the ways that you can give. You can give via Cash App today, and the handle there is Dr. Paula Price, or you can give via slash Dr. Paula Price, or text to give 918 608 1378. The text to give is 918
1: 608 1378. Well, we're done. So a for your marriage. If you have one, sow a seed for your future spouse. So you've gotta give you the right one. You can you can leverage that. Now Jesus. Okay <laughs> Start now. Start now, baby. And but start but most importantly, sow a seed because you think this word needs to go far and wide. Some of you have sown phenomenal seeds. I thank you, thank God for you. And as you can see, that seed is bearing fruit. We're still here. We're still pushing forward. And we're we standing, and, and we witness. this. I want you to understand, this is a great word, and it's great ground, but you are the great ones that have to take it to the nation. See you Sunday, 8 a.m. Sunday School at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands, and at 11 p.m. for Sunday service. Don't miss it. Uh, p.m., A.m. Yeah, don't come P.m., I'll be sleeping. PM obviously. (laughs) Okay, make sure do me a big favor. Share, 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 share. And then share this some more. God bless you.